Hey everybody, in this episode of Trek in Time, we're going to talk about being guilty of a crime simply because you're on the other side of the argument. That's right, we're talking about Enterprise, episode 19 of season 2, Judgment. And this episode originally aired on April 9th, 2003. So what we're doing here on Trek in Time is we are we're taking a look at all of Star Trek in chronological order, and we're also taking a look at what the world was like when these episodes were originally broadcast. So we're in early days still. We're still in Enterprise, which means we're also in 2003. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi and I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matthew. Matt is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Before we get into the main discussion, Matt usually likes to share some comments in our previous episodes. So Matt, do you want to hit the uh, subscribers and commenters comments and share them with us? Sure. We have some from the episode, The Crossing, which was the episode that you and I are both kind of like, meh, on, Mm -hmm. where the, uh, the wisps take over people's bodies. Well, we have one from Giant Hogweed Lives. Can we have more awkward elevator scenes with Malcolm Reed, please? Maybe to end the show, (laughs) someone recalls his interest in the number of anatomical differences to Reed, confusing him. I thought that'd be really funny. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) I remember doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Awkward. Um, The second one was from PaleGhost69. This one's a little long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he had some really great takes on this episode. This episode would have been better if the aliens that were trying to take over the Enterprise were a rebel faction to the others, like a cross between power play from the next generation, where Data, Troy, and O'Brien get possessed, and waking moments from Voyager, the sleep aliens invasion. It would also make the Hulk incorporeal thing make sense, since the Wisps would just be projections and still be linked to a physical body. Initially, it could just be a sharing of experiences that gets taken advantage of by nefarious actors in the alien ship. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. It's like he yeah. had he went on and had some more suggestions, but it's like he had some a really interesting take on tying it in to other things the show has already done. That would be an interesting take on it. But yet they didn't do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of eh, phoned it in. I mean, his his final take was, I don't know, it just seems like a severe lack of effort on this one. Lots of and then instead of if then or because. I thought yeah. that was a, a pitch perfect uh, explanation on it. Yeah. Yeah, there there seems to be it feels a little bit like the episodes we're talking about right now are giving us a lot of inadvertent peeks behind the curtain. Yes. In the form of oh, this one takes place completely within the confines of the ship using only existing sets and there's not an extra guest star anywhere around this. So this is almost like a bottle episode, they're saving money. And then we get to an episode like today's episode where we actually last week had one of our commenters left a note about how this pairs up well with a kind of law and order theme. Mm -hmm. And this episode, we see a wide range of costumes, different sets, guest stars, and different locations. So this was probably a more expensive episode to produce. Yes that unevenness is showing and that's Mm -hmm. not helping with the overall structure and writing of some of the intermediary episodes like the one the crossing which looks weaker in comparison so 
you know, getting into kind of big picture talk about this episode. I like this this episode, but there were some things about it that some weaknesses in how does this impact the crew as opposed Mm -hmm. to the culture that we're looking at. But overall, I felt like this episode almost as a standalone episode is a very strong episode. What did you think about it? I don't want to give anything away, but I don't have that opinion. (laughs) Mm. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get into it. But first, we need to figure out what this episode is. What is that? Oh my God, what's that noise? Oh, wait a minute. It's a red alert. That can only mean one thing. Matt, it's time for you to read the Wikipedia description. (laughs) Are you ready for this? Because I'm not. (laughs) Judgment is the 19th episode of the second season of Star Trek Enterprise, the 45th episode overall. (laughs) It aired April 9th, 2003 on UPN. Captain Archer appears before a Klingon tribunal charged with attacking a Klingon spaceship and inciting a rebellion. This episode guest stars J.G. Hertzler as a Klingon lawyer. Bacalow picked this episode as a favorite of his. Okay. Mm. All right. That's quite the synopsis. Yes, it is. When you get down to where it aired, the date it aired, and the fact that Scott Bakula likes this episode. So as we mentioned, this is season two, episode 19, and it was directed by James L. Conway. We've seen him direct in the series before, all the way back in the pilot. James Conway was the director for Broken Bow. The story is by Taylor Elmore, who had just joined the writing team, and David Goodman with a teleplay by David Goodman. David Goodman was most recently the scriptwriter on the episode Precious Cargo, which was one of those episodes that Matt and I both were like, eh, <laughs> uh, but, wait, but it didn't. And the original air date of this episode, as I've mentioned, is April 9th, 2003. But what does April 9th, 2003 have to do with the episode, Matt? I know that's what you're asking. <laughs> well, it explains one thing. While we were all going to the club, that's right, 50 Cent's <laughs> Into Club was the number oh, one song. <laughs> I like what you did there. And at the box office? Well, the number one movie was Phone Booth, which made $15 million. And people may remember that Phone Booth is the 2002 American psychological thriller. It was made in 2002. It was released in festivals in 2002, but it didn't hit the screens until early 2003. And why was that? Because it's got Joel Schumacher as the director. It's been produced by David Zucker. It starred... Colin Farrell, Forrest Whitaker, Katie Holmes, Rada Mitchell, and Kiefer Sutherland. And in the film, a taut psychological thriller about a sniper taking a person hostage in a phone booth. What about this movie would keep it from actually hitting theaters when it was originally intended in fall of 2002? Well, a little thing called the DC sniper attacks, which were happening in October Mm. of 2002, kept this movie from its theatrical release in November of 2002. So. 20th Century Fox sitting on a movie about a sniper, which literally was going to be released a month after actual sniper attacks were taking place. That's a little bit of a ripped from the headlines that kind of smacks you across the face. And for anybody who wants to see this movie, it is actually still available on HBO Max. And in television, on this day, April 9th, 2003, How did Enterprise stack up against the competition? As usual, we're looking at Enterprise at the bottom of the heap. (laughs) 
It's piled under shows like My Wife and Kids and George Lopez. It's underneath shows like CBS's Star Search, which I continue to marvel was actually a thing. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was alive in 2003, so I should remember this, but yeah, no, no, I don't. You're blocking it out. It was also behind shows like That 70s Show and American Idol and Dateline and just barely ahead of Dawson's Creek. But for the week, the number one show, second time in a row, CSI, with 26 million viewers. And then the headlines from the New York Times, most of the headlines at this point are laser focused on the war that was going on in Iraq, including headlines such as the U.S. tightens its grip, taking Baghdad street by street. But there is something about this day's New York Times, which caught my eye in the op-eds, the letters to the editor. This one seemed particularly on point regarding the subject of this episode of Enterprise. To the editor, as while mourning dead, many Americans say level of casualties is acceptable, the news article from April 8th makes clear, the death toll in Iraq has not yet exceeded the unknown maximum that the public will tolerate. No doubt the absence of a draft makes a great difference. Those who are unwilling to fight may comment safely from the sidelines, like spectators at a game. Many parents who protested the war in Vietnam are dismayed that their own children have enlisted in the military. Though they oppose the war in Iraq equally strongly, they maintain a conflicted silence, lest their protest be seen as disloyalty to their children. How strange to hear some say deaths in Vietnam were in vain, while in Iraq were, quote, doing something. Perhaps that means that government propaganda is more effective now, or that the public is thinking less clearly. The reason I say that that has a bearing on the episode that we're about to talk about is that the episode we're about to talk about is giving a voice to a character we haven't really seen in Star Trek before, a Klingon who is an advocate in a court who is bemoaning the shift of his people's culture in a way that is disturbing to him, arguing that the humans have so far only experienced back and forth with the warrior class but the other classes in the Klingon culture are drifting into obscurity as the warrior class is taking over, leaving the people who felt that the culture had a wider and more accepting way of operating is slowly withering and dying. And I thought that that was an interesting thing to be a part of a show airing in 2003 as the military was moving into Iraq and people were feeling something similar here, that the military was being given a level of support and military operations being given a level of support and discretion that was completely dissimilar to what was experienced during Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So this episode includes guest stars, all of whom are going to be playing Klingons because this takes place entirely within a Klingon court. As mentioned before, in the synopsis, for some reason, we don't know why, but in the synopsis, <laughs> it was pointed out that J.G. Hertzler yeah. was playing Advocate Kolos. And people will remember that J.G. Hertzler played a Klingon before. Yes, Mr. Hertzler was Martok on Deep Space Nine. A great character. Great character. One of my favorites yeah. from Deep Space Nine. I'm looking forward to in 10 years when we eventually get to Deep <laughs> Space Nine. Talking yeah. about my appreciation, of, my appreciation of Mr. Hertzler's work. Other actors include Granville Van Dusen, who played the Klingon magistrate. John Vickery, 
who played Prosecutor Orak. John Vickery was also an actor who appeared on Babylon 5. Daniel Riordan played Duras. So we're seeing Duras. This is the first time we're seeing a Duras in the, oh, in the Star Trek this. lore. Oh, I have thoughts on this. We have a couple of other Klingons in the form of guards who don't really do much other than simply guard things. So that's fine. But this episode, based on my speculation around known dates, the next episode will have a known date of January 2153. So this is basically a Christmas episode. This is late December 2152, and the episode starts right off the bat in a Klingon court. That big sigh you're hearing is Matt responding to whether he knows it or not. Uh, Matt and I are probably going to be talking about the exact same thing in this episode, but from different sides of the fence. Mm -hmm. This episode is full of fan service. (laughs) It is. (laughs) It's funny to say that because my first note as I took this episode was the Duras family. Really? Fan service? Why? It's what I wrote in my notes. I was yeah. like, come on. I forgot they did that. I could tell by your side that you were thinking about the fan service. This episode is full of fan service. It introduces Duras. So we have the beginning of the Duras plot. If you watch this entire series, the way we're doing it in this podcast, chronologically, if you've never seen a bit of Star Trek before, you're going to hear the name Duras again a lot. and again and again. A lot. Coming to its peak during Deep Space Nine, all centered on Worf. Some of the other things in this episode, I'm just going to throw these out there to get them out of the way. The script originally revealed that the location of this court was Narendra Three. That was the site of Enterprise C's demise in defending this Klingon outpost. It was Mm -hmm. something that was in the script, but it was not vocalized in the episode. So that's another bit of fan service. This is supposed to be the place where Enterprise C will defend this Klingon outpost from a Romulan attack, which leads to a more peaceful relationship in the future, as we know from the episode yesterday's Enterprise in Star Trek The Next Generation. The court was designed to resemble that from Star Trek VI. So this looks very much like the court where we see McCoy and Kirk put on trial. And in Star Trek VI, Kirk and, Mat- Kirk and McCoy are sentenced to Rurapente, which is where Archer is sentenced. It is the ice mining facility. So this is is my problem. This is my, this is, this is an episode to go into a note that I discovered in my research on this episode. The script was written by David Goodman based on idea from himself and the newcomer Taylor Elmord. Their goal was to write an episode that would try to bridge as much as possible, the connections between the Klingons in the next generation and the original series. They were trying to explain why Klingons from the original series seem different from the Klingons in the next generation. Basically saying the next generation Klingons have a more nuanced culture. Yeah. And the original series Klingons were all just warriors showing up just to fight the good fight to fight the good fight. So something happens between those two. What is it? And they are basically making the argument that what we see in the next generation is a return to this Mm -hmm. culture that was in its, was in its demise. Mm -hmm. So 
the ebb and flow of the Klingon culture is what they were trying to examine. They did that by having to tie in as many references as they possibly could. One of the interesting things about this episode was originally it was designed in the script that the crew would rescue Archer from a prison transport as opposed to going to Rurapente. But Brandon Braga liked the idea of, quote, Archer on a prison transport, which became the episode Canamar. So this episode was written before, pitched originally before Canamar. Okay. And then the sequence of episodes was reorganized. So you okay. ended up with that so this element is, being thrown into its own episode earlier in the season. This is, this is making so much, I didn't know all that. And this is making so much more sense to me because you said it in the beginning that you, you basically kind of liked this episode. You found enjoyment in it. For me, mm-hmm. I'm the exact opposite. I did not like this episode. I vehemently hated it. It could have been my mindset when I watched it because I had just had a, a doctor's procedure thing and my, maybe I wasn't thinking clearly. Sean knows what I'm talking about. And yeah. so maybe it was the worst time to have watched that episode. But at the end of it, I was just like, I hated this episode. And it was because it did too much fan service. It was tying into too much stuff. It was trying to bite off more than it could chew. And it would have been better if they had just focused on one damn thing and just like nailed it. Because the through line of the, the, the story is the prosecutor and the law and order aspect of the show, this legal system that is designed to screw people over. It's basically just a facade of a court. And so it's like, if they leaned into that, it would have been far more interesting, but they, here come the Durasses and, oh, here's Ropente. And it's like, wait, this is just, uh, this, I felt like I was rewatching Star Trek Undiscovered Country. It's like this, mm. we've already seen this in Star Trek Six. What is new here? There's nothing new. Yeah. We've seen all this before and they're just treading the same ground. And it made me think of probably my favorite episode of all time from Next Generation, which is The Measure of a Man, mm-hmm. which is when Data is put on trial for, is he a sentient life form? Does he have his own rights or does he, is he owned by Starfleet? What I love about that episode is they spend time with the prosecutor and the scientists that are trying to claim him as owning him. And they spend a lot of time with Picard, who's on the defense, trying to defend him. You get to know the underlying motivations of both sides. You get to understand the, the ebb and flow. You get this really kind of fascinating argument f- for and against data. Yeah. And so it kind of makes you not sympathize, but you understand why the scientist that's trying to claim data, mm-hmm. why he's doing it. And so you understand his motivations. You understand where everything's coming from. This episode is so lopsided one side. You know jack all about the prosecutor. You know jack all about the Klingon courts. It's all about the defense attorney and, and rehashing a he said, she said version of events, which as a viewer, we all know the Klingons are lying and just framing this badly before we even get to Bacala's portrayal of what happened. We all know <laughs> what it's going to be because these are the heroes of the show you yeah. actually don't need to show us because we all know that this stuff is going to you know they're being who they are and they're doing the right thing and all that kind of stuff mm. so they focused too much time and effort on the stuff that we at inherently just know to be true and the stuff that would have been novel and new and interesting they just never even touched yeah so at the end of the episode i was just kind of like I- i've said this a lot recently like canamar it's like there was just like a meh like at the end of the episode, it was kind of like, I was just like, what did I watch? My notes on this episode, Sean, are, I wrote two notes. 
usually I have a thing that is just literally with notes. I wrote two notes and one was while the fan service and the other one was why did they focus purely on this one-sided aspect, which is basically Star Trek Undiscovered Country. I, I, I was actually angry by the end of the episode of this is a thread that we're seeing in a lot of episodes when it's uneven for me. It's yeah. there's an interesting idea there. There's a seed of a really cool idea and the execution yeah. of it was just, are you kidding me? Did yeah. they do a second draft on this script? They, did they actually like, is this the best way we could do this script? Because it does not feel like it to me. Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. I think there is definitely a better version of this episode available. I think the way it works for me as a standalone thing mm -hmm. is to say like, oh, you want to watch the sci-fi version of To Kill a Mockingbird. It is entirely a about, version of that. <laughs> it is a less interesting version, but it is entirely the downtrodden yeah lawyer who is looking around and saying when did the legal system stop being about justice and right. it the entire episode is focused on kolos i have problems with the fact that there's no growth in any way shape or form amongst anybody on the enterprise no including archer it would have been like if i was you know here we go very quickly into the rewriter cap archer should have been unwilling to work with Kolos, as opposed to it being Kolos showing up and saying, like, don't bother talking to me because there's nothing going on in this court other than you being guilty, which is how it's framed. It should have been Kolos showing up and saying, like, talk to me about what happened and Archer being the one defensively saying, like, well, you've already decided I'm guilty. So why would I bother talking to you? It should have been yeah. about Archer's growth into accepting some Klingons are good. And it should have been Kolos going in and making these arguments. And I agree with you, if it had been like the measure of a man where you had some discussion behind the scenes with the prosecutor, it would have been fascinating to see a prosecutor saying, look, you and I both know this guy didn't do anything. Exactly. But you also hear how the crowd yes. is chanting. And the moment that we close the doors on this tribunal, we're going to have a riot out front. We can't yes. have that riot. So we need to keep these doors open. We need to let the public know we're attacking the enemies of the empire. You and I both know that this guy isn't going to amount to a hill of beans as far as Klingon is concerned. So let's just get this over with. The prosecutor Bingo. should have been given an opportunity to have a point. And even the magistrate could have been involved in that discussion. 100%. The magistrate could have been like, look, we're on thin ice here. Like yes. we're barely holding on as a entity within our own empire it could have been the lawyers and the judge all basically saying the warrior class doesn't think they need us anymore they're willing to start just taking people and slitting throats and and cutting their heads off when they when they think they're guilty they're on the verge of doing that we need to continue to demonstrate that we have a role that's, here yes that would have been fascinating that's that's what i'm talking about it's like that yeah. would have been far more interesting than what they did yeah. because they basically it's this whole the whole Braga, like every time Braga comes up in the conversation of, oh, he was behind the story or he shaped this, I always sigh. It's like, oh, here's a guy who basically was burned out. He yeah. was burned out. He did great stuff in Star Trek, but he was burned out. And it shows every time he has his fingers deep into a, a, an episode. And this felt like that to me. It felt you're leaning onto fan service, which only carries you so far. And they yeah. could have done something truly unique and interesting if they'd done what you described i wanted to see right. more of that side of the conversation of yeah the klingons arguing amongst themselves not just this one-sided oh it's this defense attorney and you know <laughs> captain archer back and forth it was like the acting was great 
I love yeah. that actor. I love him to death, but it's just this was not a well written episode in my in my mind. Yeah. The overall impression of the episode though, it the production values on this one I think were very impressive. Very good. The construction of the courtroom, the there's a lot of extras dressed in Klingon outfits. There's a lot of people. It's, it's impressive. A, it's it's a lot of people standing in those stands in full Klingon garb, chanting in Klingon. One of the things that stood out to me as and at this point now, it feels like we're we're at the point in the episode where we're just pointing out little amusing things, little gaffes in different ways. But boy, talk about a selective universal translator. It's, uh-huh. Archer is standing there and they are all conversing very eloquently in a common tongue. It's yep. you know, the impression to be like, oh, there's a universal translator at work. That's how Archer is able to communicate so seamlessly with all these people who would clearly be speaking Klingon. But for some reason, what is not translated is all the chanting from the peanut gallery in the background. Which makes no sense. Whereas they are chanting things, Archer's like, what are they saying? And it has to be translated <laughs> for him. I'm like, how are you able to turn to your Klingon lawyer and say, can you tell me what those Klingons are saying in the back of the room and have the Klingon lawyer who does not speak the Terran tongue be able to say, oh yeah, they're, they're saying they want to kill you. Uh, <laughs> so little things like that, like mm, that wasn't, thought out completely also the depiction as matt says of the courtroom it is so entirely like star trek six as to yeah. be distracting at moments even to the point where the judge's gavel which is a metal orb striking sparks. with sparks uh <laughs> it's it at moments does look like are we just watching the tv movie version of undiscovered country it does get to be a little repetitive in that way and it's in those places where i felt like okay you could have had some courtroom scenes and and shown a couple of the times of the magistrate uh banging his ball against his his desk but then you could (laughs) have also incorporated some of the more behind the scenes stuff that we would have appreciated more i don't think we needed anything aboard the enterprise i think that we did no. see the one scene where T'Pol is saying like the captain has made it clear we're supposed to leave that was fine i'm not looking for anything else aboard the enterprise i don't think we need anything else with the crew i will say that one of my favorite scenes is Flox showing up having lied his way into the cell by saying yes. my captain has a disease yes and then having the very surreptitious conversation which ends with him recommending, I know you don't necessarily want to eat that meat, but you should probably eat the protein. It would be good for you. And the the joke, once again, being Klingon food is not palatable to humans. I, I, it, was it just me or was the shape and appearance of that thing on his plate <laughs> reminiscent of something that... <laughs> phallic (laughs) i i'll leave that to the listeners it was like listeners it was like what is on that plate what are they serving them yeah oh listeners jump into the comments you can find the contact information in the podcast description or on youtube you can just scroll below the video and you can let us know with hashtag i don't even want to put a hashtag around that one but seriously, it was I, I it doesn't surprise me that you and I were basically of the same mind while having right. different reaction. But not but barely, like barely a different reaction. I left this episode and I do wonder how much of this was simply because you did have a medical procedure that left you in a mood that maybe you were like, I'm not in the mood for this. 
<laughs> I left the episode feeling like while they really, I mean, my notes are lots of fan service. It is so much fan service trying to say like, Hey, do you like Star Trek? I got some Star Trek. Do you like Klingons? Well, I got some Klingons. And there's a point where it's just like, okay, I get it. And I ended the episode feeling like I wish that Kolos was a character that more had happened for and depicting yeah. more of a world in which Kolos made sense. Because when I read that this episode had an intention behind it of building a bridge between why do we see Klingons in one way in generation and one way in the original series, this episode sticks out like a sore thumb mm -hmm. as looking like it's trying to build a bridge. And there are other episodes of other series that we will get to that do something similar. It is never good when the producers and writers of a Star Trek episode are trying to explain why production of Star Trek yes. looks yes. the way it does. There's one yep. particular episode of The Next Generation that I am really not looking forward to getting to because I hate the episode so badly. It's abysmal. Which, which is the, the writer's attempt to explain, hey, how come all these aliens look all the same. look so human? Yeah. And it is so Painful. completely unnecessary. And this one felt like it was, it was not nearly the degree of that episode, but it's in this, it comes from the same place. Hey, we need to explain to the audience why these warriors in the original series eventually become the far more nuanced Klingons of the next generation. A request nobody made. Nobody was saying, I'm having a little bit of trouble here with these Klingons and their inconsistencies. No, nobody was saying that. So the, the other thing is, for a penal colony, Rurpente, which is supposed to be this notorious, horrible place that you go and you die after six years, six months to a year. How come the Federation has been able to have a basically a prison heist? I mean, a prison break twice now. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like ah, uh, something doesn't match here. Um, here here come the humans breaking out of this prison twice. I actually don't have as much of a problem with that because I think Rurpente is more in the form of a gulag than it is an actual prison. Yeah. I think it's probably remote. It's in Klingon territory. And I get the sense that it's one of those places where from the Klingon on the street involved in taking prisoners, ferrying supplies, working as a prison guard, none of them give enough of a crap. I get the, I get the sense that it really is like when mm -hmm. you're on Rorpente, you don't have a means of getting yourself off the planet. But if you figure out some way to get off the planet, nobody's really caring. It's, yeah. it's, it, it feels very much like a gulag to me in that way of it's more like just a remote isolation yeah. as opposed to a prison. And they're fine with you dying. They're fine with you not dying. And if you're going to give them some money, they're fine with you leaving. So right. I had less of a problem with that. But again, that, would be a more interesting episode. Yes. Than what we An got. examination of what is this prison environment like would be more interesting, a sort of great escape storyline as opposed to To Kill a Mockingbird. Yep. So listeners, what did you think? Do you agree that this was ho-hum? Do you agree with me that it was ho-hum, but in isolation, not so bad? Or do you agree with Matt that ho-hum and why are you wasting my time? Let us know in the comments. You can 
go to the contact information in the podcast description, or you can scroll down on YouTube to the comments section and leave a comment there. And next time we're going to be talking about the episode Horizon. Matt, any predictions? What is Horizon going to be about? It's going to be something over the horizon. Mm. Somebody just looking longingly. Yes, rainbows. Rainbows? It's going to be about Star Trek rainbows. It's about rainbows. Star Trek rainbows. As a reminder, if you want to check out any of my books, you can go to seanfarrell.com. You can find information there. You can also go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. You can find my books there. And Matt, what do you have coming up on your channel? Well, at the time that this airs, um, I should have an episode on Undecided about micro wind turbines on your home and if that's a good option or not versus getting solar. Mm. Will you also be examining whether in a high wind your home will take off? No, but I should have done that. Mm. A la Dorothy. Yes. Don't forget, if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podcast Place, Podcasty, Podcast. You know where you found this podcast. Just go back there and rate us. We appreciate it. And if you'd like to more directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show and click the Become a Supporter button, which allows you to throw some Klingons at our heads. We appreciate every Klingon that strikes us and leaves ridges on our foreheads. All of that really does help support the show. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye.